Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 572. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Well, I'm thrilled today to welcome Joseph Massey back to the Slow Flowers podcast. I wanted to share the great news of the arrival of Joseph's first book, The Flower School, which has a great subtitle, The Principles and Pleasures of Good Flowers. This book was published by UK-based Hardy Grant and is now available online for pre-order. And we have a beautiful copy for a giveaway, so stay tuned to the end of this show and learn how you can enter to win. The Flower School is an impressive 305-page book brimming with full-color photography of the elements, principles, and theory of floral design. There are 25 step-by-step floral arrangements for the home, gatherings, celebrations, and for the pure pleasure of flowers. Before we welcome Joseph, here's a bit of his story. Frequently referred to by the media as the floral artist of his generation, Joseph Massey is widely regarded as one of Europe's top floral artists. When he was just 14, Joseph desperately wanted a weekend job, and after successfully applying to the local flower stall, He began spending his weekends working there in his hometown of Liverpool, England. Perhaps to some, it was an uncommon interest for a 14-year-old boy, but Joseph quickly found his vocation amongst the buckets of blossoms and buds. Taking steps to pursue his passion, Joseph self-funded his education and began to hone his practice and develop a creative ethos, participating in intense training sessions with top international designers and artists. To further build his artistic vocabulary, Joseph began to participate first in regional, followed by national, floral design competitions. And at the age of 19, he won his first national design competition, the BFA Young Florist of the Year, in 2007. With a clutch of prestigious awards, Joseph turned his attentions to artistic endeavors, working across 10 countries on a wide variety of art projects, including botanical couture, sculptures, and installations. He has received 17 national and international awards, including five consecutive 
RHS Gold Medals and four Best in Show Awards at the world-renowned RHS Chelsea Flower Show in London, the youngest person ever to achieve this feat. Joseph's work has been featured in the press, including The Times, The Independent, The Daily Mail, all British-based newspapers, and his work has been commissioned by international institutions and brands. I'm thrilled to share today's conversation with you, and please visit slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 572, where our show notes are, and you'll see photos of his gorgeous book, as well as you can find links to Joseph's free online mini course called For the Love of Flowers, and all of his other resources as well. Let's just jump right in and welcome Joseph Massey. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Slow Flower Show with Deborah Prinzing. I am so excited today to welcome Joseph Massey. Joseph is coming to us from London, and we don't have video, but you're going to see some beautiful images that he's shared from his new book. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Are you doing okay? I'm doing great. I'm having fond recall of our time together at the Whidbey Flower Workshop several years ago. Well, pre-COVID. So I think it was 2019, maybe. Yeah. When you were over in the U.S. and and we sat together and recorded our first interview uh, of having you on the Slow Flowers podcast. You Uh, know what? I was reminiscing about that just the other day because I was talking to my friend Toby, um, who obviously, you know, Whidbey Flower Island um, Flower Program and all the rest of it. And um, I know she was talking about her book that's forthcoming which is very exciting Um, and we were talking about bits and it made me reminisce of God a wonderful time when everything just seemed to be a little bit easier in the world (laughs) Um, but what a gorgeous place that was that we were it was this um, fire seed catering I think it was or something it was oh my gosh it was beautiful yeah maybe I'll I'll show a photo of the amazing installation that you created uh, that was breathtaking, mesmerizing, 100% sustainable, and really Uh, taught the students um, some new techniques. Yes. I mean, I'm blushing already, I have to say, so (laughs) carry on. (laughs) Okay, well, listen, the, the teaching is why you were here in the U.S., and the teaching is what led to, I believe, many demands or requests for a book. I like how can Joseph Massey capitalize or capture or wrap his arms around a course or a lifetime of lessons in the pages of a book? And is that kind of how you approached the flower school? Uh, Tell me about how the book came together. Sure. So it was very similar to that, actually. I mean, I have to be 100% honest with you and say that it was absolutely a COVID project in the case where we were, you know, I have a wedding and event studio um, here in the UK called Joseph Massey Flowers, and that was absolutely totaled during Mm. 2020. Uh, We did a total amount of zero weddings and events here. So we we went from having, our restrictions were pretty uh, severe, um, and so we didn't do a single wedding or event, and we had a lot of time not having and I thought, should I crochet or should I try and write? Um, and writing was definitely voted as the more promising of the project. So, um, and I, I was kind of, I think, pretty clear from the beginning that what I wanted to do was a really good kind of foundation book because I know that when I started out, you know, I'm 34, I have to think then, 34 years old. So it wasn't a lifetime ago that I was a student, but it was a good, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And I just remember how how hard it was to find really, really good books that kind of provided a good, solid foundation into the world of floral design. And I thought, you know, I don't think there's been one of these for a little while. Um, so I thought maybe that would be a really good place to begin for, you know, for a first book. 
It's so interesting you say that because I took a ton of notes when I was going through the book, which is so beautiful. We'll share images. It is 305 pages, which is, you know, no small feat. Um, you're going to get a lot of value for every page. Uh, but I wrote down, this is the book Joseph's 14-year-old self wanted back in 2002. Hard to believe that was 20 years ago, that you have two decades of self-education and professional education mm. uh, under your belt. And that's what you've you've put together for the aspiring florist or a professional florist who, who wants to learn your approach. Well, it was very much what I hoped to do. I mean, it's so funny when you say two decades ago, because when people say two decades ago, I just think, oh, the 80s. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I tend to, <laughs> to, to like to think of myself being <laughs> such an age, but you're so right. Um, you weren't even and... born in the 80s. Come on. <laughs> I, well, I was 88, very, very, very typically. Okay. Very um, but yeah, I do. I think, oh gosh, what was what, what were fashions were like back then? Um, mm. But yeah, no, for me, it was very much something that I thought and I hoped would be a really good foundational book just because I remember you know what it was like being a student when I was you know 16 17 18 when I was doing all my training and um I remember that thirst for knowledge that kind of craving for knowledge of just wanting to know everything of how everything works and I I felt such a frustration that I couldn't get every all the information that I wanted as quickly as I wanted and um Oh my gosh, yeah. And so this book essentially was written for, for for anyone who's got a passion for flowers who wanted to dive in more. And I, I hope it's a book that you can kind of skim through if you're, you know, you're not in the industry, you're not, a you know, in the professional uh, flower industry and you just like flowers, you can have a skim through and that's wonderful. And I also hope it provides a, a really good foundation for people who maybe are in the industry mm-hmm. that want to learn a little bit more or, um, you know, kind of want to, you know, see where their passion could take them. That's interesting that you mentioned that person who I guess I would call the flower enthusiast because I'm noticing more and more coming out of horticulture myself that the garden crowd and the the garden lover who grows, you know, ornamental flowers just for their landscape, they are so curious about what are the techniques that the pros know and, and use, what are the tools they use? And is that a subset of the type of people who come to your school and, want to learn from you as well or is that are you pretty much focused on professional floors oh no absolutely we have taste today courses where you know with people who are just turning up just wanting to have a go and get involved and I think that when we kind of view floristry I, I personally don't like to draw too much of a boundary between people who are kind of wanting to get in professional and people who are just kind of starting out because when you're starting out I think all of the skills and all of the techniques and the knowledge that you're giving is so foundational it can be taken in any anyway you know it can be done as uh taken as something that is just for pleasure that you can arrange in the home or in the garden and equally it can be something that you can kind of lay the bedrock for a -hmm. wonderful kind of career to come so I think it's important when you're learning anything I always kind of say like be really kind with yourself and and follow your passion as well because if you try it and you love it do more of that you know don't kind of limit yourself or try try not to have any too many preconceptions of where things will take you I mean that's what I say but do I do it myself no but I'll (laughs) try try you know (laughs) that's okay maybe your 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 practices will become more habitual um but i do think like seeing the way you've organized this book and i'll just uh show the table of contents so people can see what i'm talking about the fundamentals the elements and principles of floral design the golden ratio which yes it needs its own chapter color theory (laughs) and which also needs its own chapter and then after you kind of lay those 
the foundation of the Joseph Massey House of Flowers, then you go into all the rooms with the application of, of how um, you approach flowers at home, flowers to entertain. I love the title of this one, Flowers in Love and Flowers to Celebrate. Um, and then, of course, you wrap it up with techniques and a glossary uh, and resources. It's massive. Mm-hmm. and um, But I do think what you're saying is you need to know the fundamentals because uh, you need to know the why behind what you're trying to achieve as a designer. Is that kind of oh, what you that, that is it. That is That is nail on the head, Deborah. I mean, I find that so often in my classes that I've taught previously, that so many people want to know uh, the how. They want to know, how do you make that? How do you do that? And that's that's fine. But I, I do kind of believe that the how will only get you so far. The how mm-hmm. allows you to mimic. It allows you to imitate. It allows you to put on something that looks like somebody else's. And that's fine. There's, it's all good. But I think that the best kind of teaching comes from a teacher who is open to explaining the why as well. I mean, one of yeah. my favorite tutors uh, uh, who, you know, really changed my life was a, a tutor here in England called uh, Ian Lloyd, um, who has numerous Chelsea medals to his name, head judge, really, you know, incredible guy. Mm. And he he said, whenever, when I was doing a lot of my training with him in my teenage years, he, I, I remember him saying to me, you know, you should have a reason everything in the design should have a reason for being there. And if a student says to you, oh, like, why is this carnation here? Or why is this sunflower here? You can't just go, oh, because it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Or because it's, oh, because it looks so pretty. Like, that's such a non-answer. It really needs to be, oh, because it helps with the dominance or it helps with the scale or the proportion. Because I feel that if you, it's kind of like, you know, if I teach someone the, uh, how of something. I'm, I'm giving them a fish for the day. If I teach them the why behind it, then they can make their own choices and go fishing for a lifetime, you know, like yeah. they can really take it further. It's the, it's the uh, high school algebra equivalent of show your work. <laughs> like yes. the, teacher, the teacher wants to know how you got to the answer. So that's what you're trying Absol- to encourage people to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I just find it, it, it leads people I, also to, um, to more confidence in themselves. They understand why they're doing it, not just, you know, mimicking the designer. And uh, for me, it was so important to, to put those, um, mm-hmm. those four chapters at the start. I mean, mm-hmm. my publisher, to, you know, to be fair, they didn't, argue necessarily with mm-hmm. me. I mean, maybe that's just I'm a very dominating personality. We never know. <laughs> um, but they, they, they were kind of very on board that I said, look, it really needs to have some foundational parts, which let's be honest, are not the sexiest of things, theory sometimes to talk about proportions and to talk about placements. Right. You know, if people would far more just dive into a beautiful bouquet or a gorgeous arrangement or whatever it might be. Um, and sometimes it can be a lot more a little while, a little bit dry to start going through the theory. But hopefully, if you do kind of, you know, put the energy into that, you will reap the dividends for years to come, you know? Yeah. I mean, just in terms of book design and the, what you've presented with um, very easy to understand, simple illustrations that show um, all of the principles and how, you know, the three, five, eight uh, proportions would appear in certain shapes and certain, um, you know, kind of forms. It's mm-hmm. it's really in, understandable, and you, you oh, know, thank you. Yeah, I think it's well, great. Well- I really wanted to include those as a little bit of a cheat sheet because, you know, although I'm like, learn the theory, you know, build your bedrock, you know, create a great foundation to build the design or art, you know, career that you want to have. At the same time, you know, it's always good to have a bit of a cheat sheet in there so that (laughs) if you are a bit stretched for time and you've got a lot on your hands, you can flick to the page and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's how this would look. I love it. 
um, it's just so, it's a, a nice way of doing it. And plus doing it in like sketches meant that I didn't have to create, you know, 26 different arrangements oh with 26 God. different placements, which was originally the idea. And I said, I don't quite think that will be happening. Um, but yeah, no, that was really good fun to do. And I, I have to be honest, I hope the theory pages are some of the pages which, um, you know, people will, will enjoy the most if they kind of sit down and go through them. And it's certainly some of the pages that I've had the most um, response to and the most kind of um, praise for so far. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely like the heavy, um, heavy, hardworking part of the book that then you, if you get through that, then you can start having some fun and playing with color and playing with, mm. you know, different flower designs. Um, I did want to just ask you before we went on to talk about color theory, the last page of this um, section on elements and principles, you have a chart of showing the difference between classical floristry and contemporary floristry. Mm -hmm. uh, is that kind of a concept that is, you know, per permeating, you know, British floral design, or is this more global? Like you're seeing this happen, you know, among students around the world. Yeah, so that's a really great question. So when I was starting out doing my own training, we I was obviously in the UK, in Britain, and whenever I would go to Europe to train, whether that be Germany, France, anything, they would use a, a different design schema, the European design schema, which is what I've essentially taken to be, is known as more, con now, nowadays, you know, 10 odd years later, is known more as contemporary floral design. And that features far more 358, it features mm -hmm. multiple um, key placements, as opposed to what what we might call traditional floral design or classical floral design, which is, you know, you think of a stately home and a big triangular uh, an arrangement, which got one focal area right in the middle and, you know, is a, a very clearly defined, simple shape, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a way to differentiate for the student, I think, between what has gone before and what the potential possibilities are in the future. Because when we look at classical floral design, it really is a little bit limiting. I mean, you can mix mm -hmm. and match your materials, you can grow your own you can get any gorgeous bits and pieces together and that that's wonderful but all it will be is a replica of what has gone before because the the constraints within classical floral design are classical and they're, they're very very mm. difficult to interpret in a contemporary way whereas contemporary floral design it allows you a million opportunities mm. a million possibilities um and so for me it was very much i put it this way it was kind of like maybe i learned a language when i was in um in school and then i went abroad and i was i thought i knew the language and i absolutely didn't um and i was like what is this three five eight how does this work and my teachers at the time were like it's it's a different it's a different language there's a different way of it's a different way of looking things and um it really does open open the eyes to the possibility and i thought i did think to myself is this super confusing should I just put in something really simple about classical floral design you have one focal area you know Bob is your uncle there you are and then I thought no I thought what we should really do is you know don't um, you know, don't condemn the student to a lifetime of triangular arrangements. You know, <laughs> let's open the door. Let's open the doors wide and open the mind. And, you know, let's treat the students as if they are really passionate and want to learn everything about it. And that's why I included it. Oh, it's so it's so simple. And yet it um, it tells teaches a lot on one page where, you know, the one on the classical, it says, um, this, this caught my eye. Larger blooms should be positioned toward the center of the arrangement. On contemporary, mm -hmm. you say, larger blooms should be positioned in the three key areas, dominant, contrasting, and subdominant. And I, like That really had a shift for me when I read it. I'm like, okay, that's what he means by contemporary. It's got more, um, more 
I don't know, depth and dimension, and you're pushing the envelope uh, to have a more interesting design because you're yes. allowing these additional layers. It's additional possibilities. Mm-hmm. It what it what is instead of we think of, when we think of classical floral design, think of uh, think of Downton Abbey, state and stately home, big mm-hmm. gorgeous arrangement on the fireplace. Where would the longiflorum lilies be? Where would the roses be? They would be right in the center, the largest bloom directly in the center. Mm-hmm. But when we if we take that space, that mantle on that fireplace. Um, and we put, you know, look at that composition. There are literally, probably, I don't know, fifteen different ways that we could arrange those circulars so it would be pleasing for the eye. And all it is, really, three five eight, when it comes down to it, is you know a formula for beauty. It's a formula that enables the eye to move um, through a composition to enjoy the riches of it. Really, mm. I mean, gosh, mm. this is book number two. I'm, I, I shouldn't write this down. It's good stuff. <laughs> I'm um, gonna save the transcript for <laughs> that, Well, there we are. That's what I'm liking. Um, because it is, it just enables the possibilities. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think when you're teaching anybody, it's such a responsibility. Um, I tr- I take it very seriously anyway, that yeah. you, you know, you want to kind of give the student everything you possibly can in, you know, the day or the two days that you have with them. And I felt that it were, I would be doing a disservice if I just said, oh, it's classical design only kids, off we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that, that's not how we do things here. No, and so. you're more excited about contemporary design in your work. So I, I Love that you've carried that to the to the future generations. Um, well, I mean, I, I certainly try to. One thing I would say, one thing I didn't think about, but I would definitely bear in mind for book number two, is when you create a, um, a book full of arrangements for beginners, you know, essentially like, you know, relatively easy products to start off, um, you definitely need some some gorgeous, really, really sexy bits in the background because when you're teaching simple things, Instagram doesn't quite blow up when you show them a simple vase or a simple composition <laughs> as opposed to some more sexy, wild, you know, kind of more, uh, you know, pushing the envelope stuff but uh, I re- only realized that about two-thirds of the way through I thought mm, maybe we need some bigger things in here well to get people yeah. excited yeah. okay well let's just pause here and say and you do address this in the book that you produced this under quarantine situation where you couldn't oh. like go out to clients homes and photograph no. and you were pretty much in a studio right it was so about 95% of it was shot in my own studio so we were talking um backdrops uh, photographer with a mask on me with a mask on and nobody else and it wow. was uh we were in this was we started shooting the very beginning of 2021 so for us we were just going through oh, I don't even know what variant it was was it alpha or something back then mm. uh, um that was it just taking over it was we kind of thought we'd got oh you know we're, we're getting through this oh no you quite didn't yeah. said COVID um, <laughs> exactly yeah and so we we really only had one location shoot um, which came in about two weeks before the book before we had to hand the book over um, oh, and that was just the reality of the situation so I, I am a tad jealous when I look at some of my colleagues books I think oh, you had a model how dare you how did you right. manage to have another person? And she's not wearing a mask. Or, you know, you see some gorgeous, um, you know, location shots. And I just think, oh, my gosh. But, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I do kind of think it saved me to, um, especially with this book, to really focus on what the pieces were and what I was trying to show in them rather than, you know, showing some gorgeous apartments or some beautiful homes yeah. or, you know. But, um, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be able to have that fun experience on another yes. book in the future. That'll be your that'll be your do-over. But right now, I think, you know, when I look at it and I look at, I'm looking at, for example, the this beautiful photo in the, in the color theory uh, section, which is this 
poppy arrangement, which almost seems mm. to def- defy gravity. You're mm. using a single flower, but you're you're showing, I think, color harmonies the way you selected, um, you know, the 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 adjacent colors to mm. maybe the the peach. Is that sort mm. of, you know, that's a pretty strong arrangement. It's okay that it's just, I guess, I didn't even want to say just. It's a it's a monobotanical arrangement. Yeah, it is. And you know what? I have to say, I do love using monofloral um, compositions. They were grown, uh, those gorgeous peony poppies were grown by a local grower, um, maybe, gosh, 20 minutes drive from my mm. studio. Mm. Um, so we they were just perfection. And I remember the guy who grew them, John, he said, they could fall apart at any minute. They could fall apart. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm totally aware, but I'm down to be dangerous. John. Give me <laughs> the peony poppies and I'll see what I can do. Um, and they were just exquisite. I thought, you know, Ooh. we have to do it. But you know, from a from a, I guess from an educational perspective, um, teaching monofloral, monofloral or teaching solely with one color palette, or uh, te- I, I often teach a lot in uh, neutrals, in mm. whites or ivories, or you know, very very simple mm-hmm. colors. And I find sometimes that when you, and what I find really is, I'm you know, this is being very salacious, but I do find that color is kind of the easy fun girl at the bar when it comes. principles and elements she's the one that you can turn to for a good time very quickly and it's colorful and it's in your face and it's bright and it's karaoke and it's it's there and it can often be a way to disguise dare i say it deborah sloppier work Mm. if you have a nice color palette you can overlook placements you can overlook um you know the 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 patterns that are within a floral design and what someone's trying to achieve if you have a gorgeous color palette so often i do limit the materials that i use um bart hassan the australian floral designer is a master at this using only greens only whites so it's very very simple materials because what that does that process of reduction it removes the noise it removes the pretty it removes that superficial layer of oh how pretty is that oh how gorgeous is that we all know it's gorgeous we can all buy gorgeous flowers and arrange them that's fine what I'm interested in is making sure that the person in front of me understands what I'm trying to say with regards to this is how you do this this is how this is how you create tension within the design this is how we arrange the 358 this is how we create negative space within the composition and if I'm using pretty lots of pretty things and lots of colorful things well that's fine but it doesn't really benefit anybody I would much rather teach what is important in a way that um, communicates it as clearly and as simply as possible Mm. That, that that to me that brings to mind the lesson that I've also heard from a lot of uh, um, I guess artists to say if you photograph a, your work in black and white you see more more clearly you know the, the lines or the proportions or the forms oh, or maybe yes. where the where the negative space is and it, I guess that's sort of the equivalent of designing with just a single flower type oh absolutely I mean you hit the, no, the nail on the head that is that's absolutely true because flower the greatest power of flowers and also their greatest weakness is that they are so pretty so you mm-hmm. can pick up a bunch at a local bodega supermarket whatever and automatically you have something pretty and that's a, such a weakness and such a gift at the same time um because it's already beautiful and if but if you want to dive deeper you don't really need um 
you know, a colour harmony with 15 different steps. You don't need rare flowers. You don't need the most beautiful, gorgeous, most pretty things. I sometimes threaten some of my own students when I, I used to train people for world skills, bigger competitions, you know, I, that I wasn't going to buy any flowers. I was just going to turn up with a load of different coloured painted tennis balls on sticks and be like, <laughs> this is what we're working with because that's the core of what it is. It's pattern, it's line, it's space. This is what we're working with. I don't care whether it's anything beautiful or anything. If you can understand that, you can understand tennis balls on sticks, you can understand anything. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't even think that would be ugly. I think that would be really fantastic. It'd be like a sculpture. <laughs> oh my God. It would be really cool. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've got the foundation and really, you know, this first section isn't the longest, but it's the one that people need to dive in and spend the most time with. And then they can go through all of the kind of expressions of flowers that you've uh, added in the subsequent chapters uh, with projects like fl the flowers from the for the home and uh, flowers to entertain and love and celebration. So, how uh, how did you? I guess I guess you had some tough choices. Like, what do you include and what you don't include? You must have had some specific approaches that you needed to teach like the hand tied bouquet or the arch or the mm -hmm. or the um you know the the vignette so break that down for us a little bit how many of these projects are there in the um the design components sure so there's 25 hands-on projects and that was a i felt a nice number to aim for and it was also a number that we felt the book could hold within right. you know 300 odd 300 something pages and you have to you know i have to say that when they said oh it's going to be 300 pages it's going to be this by this i didn't really understand what that looked like or what that felt like <laughs> right. uh, because like you know i don't know what i'm doing do i so when someone says it's 100 pages i think fine that's great um but it's only when you start to put it together you start to realize that actually 300 pages isn't that much and you have to kind of really limit what you do so we had a list of everything that we wanted and then we had a list of some like some ideas from a technical point of view that I really wanted to share and then I had a list of ideas that I thought maybe the uh, you know Joe public would like to see things like mm -hmm. a door wreath or things like that and then I definitely wanted to include some bigger things and some smaller things so I guess in a way I try to balance it out is what I'm saying Deborah like I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination I didn't know what I was doing with this book at all next time I'll be forewarned but this well, one uh, you you faked it really well Joseph it thank looks, you yeah. that'll That's be on my first. tombstone Joseph Massa he faked it well um, <laughs> no no no, but, no, no. <laughs> No, genius, genius. Um, it was very much a case of trying to find a good balance of things that I thought were the technical things that I thought would have real value, that skills that people could build on, skills that people could use as a pathway to something bigger. And then I wanted some things that were a bit bigger and a bit more sexy. And then I wanted some things that could definitely be done within the home. You know, mm -hmm, that went right. and throughout throughout the book, I haven't used crazy expensive things or, you know, a mad selection of mad, you know, mad flowers. I've used what I like to think is the flowers that are relatively easy to get hold of. You know, there's right. nothing too crazy out there, nothing too expensive. I've used carnations and roses and, you know, tulips and the bits and pieces that you sh the average person in, you know, should be able to get their hands on. And yeah. um, it was that kind of balance, really, just thinking about what the reason would uh, mostly benefit from no it, it, these designs are very accessible like you know the bud vase idea or the pin holder idea like that's something that even without mastering the 358 someone could try those techniques and practice over and over again and get better at it and get more confidence um and mm. you're right your flower selections are um 
also, you know, some of them are unique and maybe a little bit harder to find, like say the Fritillaria, but then you pair mm-hmm. it with, you know, some, you know, flowering branch that's a spirea or something that's, you know, probably in everybody's garden. So mm-hmm. uh, I loved your selections. Um, the other thing you. I no- yeah. The other thing I noticed is that you really, um, on the project pages, it, they're beautiful and you're not, there's not a lot of these hands holding tape kind of, uh, photos. Those are all in the back in the mechanics mm-hmm. uh, and techniques mm-hmm. section, which also I think just circles back to, you know, learn the techniques and apply them to multiple flowers. It doesn't have to just be the project I've just showed you. Correct. And I mean, to be honest, that was a way of keeping the projects tighter so that mm-hmm. I wouldn't need to show three different variations of me using tape or three different mm-hmm. variations of me using a pin holder, for example. So we thought if we group all of our techniques together, then we have a little technique bank for someone to be able to go to and reference and use. And then we can, of course, mention that in the project page. We can say, oh, mm-hmm. we're doing a hand type, okay, as per the technique shown on page dot, dot, dot. Or today we're using, mm-hmm. um, you know, tape grid as per the technique illustrated on you know page here um and that was what we what we kind of tried right. to to be honest that the chapter nine the technique page, is my favorite chapter i just really? think it uh, yeah because i think it's so clean and so minimal and i just think it's it, it flows very very nicely and if i was a new student starting out that would have just been i i would have been a gooey mess on the floor looking at that i would have been like oh, this is how i do everything this is how i put everything together um it really right. would have given me a huge amount of value so that was definitely one of my favorite uh, yes it really is i mean it says it's sort of like bookends like the very important um opening sections that really teach the the principles and sort of the foundations and then you end with the techniques and all the pretties in the Mm. middle and i love that um (laughs) joseph i think really uh yeah the way you mentioned now that you're mentioning it i'm looking at the techniques and they're all photographed straight down like bird's eye view and showing, you know, exactly how you would hold or position or attach something. Um, and I, it seems to me the most challenging thing to teach would be the spiral hand-tied bouquet. Is that, are you, do you find that that's uh, often? Oh my gosh, yes. Catches Absolutely. people. Absolutely, because I think it is, it's so difficult for people to grasp because when you're starting out, you just feel all fingers and thumbs Mm -hmm. and it feels very technical. And, you know, there's so many things you have to be aware of when you're creating it, you know, something that's three-dimensional. You know, you're not just kind of arranging something, you know, flat, you know, flat lay or something like that. It's it's in your hands and you have control of it and you don't get as much perspective as you would like because this thing is on the end of your arm. So you can't (laughs) often get it as far away from you you need to to take a look at it um it's something that as as with any technique i think the more you do the easier you will find it and the more joy it will bring you but in the start my gosh is it a challenge um but you know where i did it with uh i hopefully tried to do it in a clearer way as possible with some beautiful locally grown tulips they were from a grower in the uk called smith and munson i don't know if you're aware of them they grow uh lilies Mm. and other bits and pieces but their tulips are what they're famous for and it was uh that was actually one of the first things we shot um is that because it was in the spring yeah but i think you're exactly right that um that translates those lessons translate so in such a clean way with just white tulips you didn't have a you know multiple varieties that would have just been a little distracting i think so well thank you thank you basically what one what i'm trying to say deborah is if you like it boring come with me and i'll teach you the techniques (laughs) Uh, oh no, 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 no. This is, this is, this is really, uh, I mean, there's nothing boring about the hanging installation 
that is so brilliant. It's like this dried grass chandelier that, um, I mean, it's so contemporary and I just, everyone would want to recreate one. And I love that's in the flowers oh, to celebrate section. I think these are maybe some of your most ambitious in the book, like maybe definitely. a little advanced, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why we place the chapter at the end. So hopefully no one would be absolutely terrified <laughs> by the time they got to them and think, oh, I couldn't possibly. Um, but I felt it was important to have some things that were not just, you know, simpler arrangements or simpler compositions. I wanted to create designs that I think, you know, were impressive and, you know, had a wow factor to them, but also spoke to our culture because that's kind of, I think that's, where floristic design, where botanical, horticultural fits well. It's an expression of how we live and kind of how we go about um, our lives and how we go about celebrating them and, and other people in them. And, you know, a design has to have a purpose. It's, you know, one of the key definitions between art and design, isn't it? That it has a function, it has a reason for being there, mm -hmm. whether it's for a party or to decorate a staircase for, I don't know, a photo shoot or someone's birthday or something. Like, you know, it has to have a reason to exist. And I felt that some of these large pieces would either intimidate people or they would you know pose a, an exciting challenge for people to dive into and that, that's kind of what I hope it did. Yeah, oh I, I definitely agree I think the stairway installation is another one where and you just mentioned that too where um, you peel back the layers and show people it, you can do this this is this is just how I break mm -hmm. it down and um, and I noticed that in both the stairway piece and then the also the, the arch that you designed, you are using the um, sustainable foam product, which I don't know if it's a brand name or not. We we see it in the U.S. as AgroWool. I don't know if that's what your um, product. Okay, yeah, same here. So, what's your experience with that? Has that become uh, something that your students are always asking for, or have you been kind so of bringing them along? So we don't teach with traditional floral foams okay. at all. So if you come to my school, if you do an online class with me, if you're in my membership, we don't use traditional floral foams at all, um, simply because there are better ways of doing things, kinder ways of doing mm -hmm. things, more, more responsible ways of doing things. So it, was, it wasn't even, to be honest, Deborah, it wasn't even a conversation in the book of, oh, should we use traditional floral? It, it was never a... A debate, you know. I had to kind of educate my publisher on that because I they said I think one I think one of the editors was like, "Oh, you're using you know, you know the O word," and I said, "No," yes. I, said, I, said, I said, "We're not. We're using this instead." I said, "But you know, the foam projects that we've used using the AgroWall, I think mm -hmm. it's what, is it three projects throughout the book, I yes, think it is, yeah, something like that. Three out of twenty-five. I've tried to show you know chicken wire and tape and moss parcels and other you know a, a ton of other different things." Um, that show how you can work with flowers instead of it. So for me, I like to be as responsible as possible, sustainable as we can be. Um, I run a business, of course, but I mean, that's, that just puts, I think, a great responsibility on me to be as sustainable as possible. So you won't find in any of my teaching, any of my classes, um, you won't find any kind of traditional mm. floral mm -hmm. forms. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's really, I think a lot of people are afraid to, um, push the envelope a little bit on new products and this is a great uh, primer for okay this is this is how I ap apply it and how I work with it and um, I'm excited to try some of these I don't have a staircase 
quite as curvy as yours, but I have one. So I, <laughs> I well, neither it. do I. I have to say that that is not my house in that picture. Let's just be honest. <laughs> uh, but it was very much a, a, a case for me. And I think what, we, what I've tried to do with the projects that do feature, you know, the agrawal is hopefully it will provide a basis for, you know, who knows, in a couple of years, we might have something even better that we can, um, you know, use even more sustainable. And right. hopefully that will take its place. I mean, the only thing I was really conscious of is I wanted, you know, I hear some great things in the US about things for like the ocean pouch and things, but they're not available in the UK. They're not available in Europe. And I had to be very mindful that anything I use and show has to be available for right. everybody. It right. can't just be a very niche product or someone who isn't willing to ship abroad yet or, you know, dot, dot, dot. So it needs to be uh, accessible for that nature. But I, I mean, yeah. I, I I think I tried to do, I tried to do the best I could to show contemporary floral sign as it is. And a big part of that is sustainability. So um, I don't harp on about it, you know, I'm not, because I'm not the best at it, frankly. There's other people who are far better at that than I am. You know, Toby, our mutual friend is, you know, a fine example of someone who is far more educated than I am about sustainability and how to incorporate it. Um, but I tried to definitely mention an idea to it throughout the book because I think it's important. Hmm, I love it. I want to just say that, that you have 20 of your favorite blooms in the flower glossary, which is, I don't know how you could control yourself in limiting to just 20, but it's kind of a nice, um, it, it references back to a lot of the images earlier in the book. So it kind of mm. gives people a little bit more detail about, you know, seasonality and vase life and um, it's really lovely. So, um, I'm, oh, I'm I, you know what? I could in. write, I could write a book purely on that glossary. I really could, because I actually really enjoyed that about you know taking one flower and you know sharing all the bits and pieces of it, and you know how you can use it. I found it it was quite limiting to have to keep it to a paragraph or two, but I think that could be yeah. a book by itself. You know how florists use flowers, um, because <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just think there's so so much to share on that for sure. Even even down to your particular uh, you know favorite cultivars and and. Uh, uh, no, I loved it. It's great. Um, and oh, thank, thank you, you for mentioning the Slow Flowers uh, organization in the in the reference section. I was like, oh, thank you, Joseph. That's really lovely. And and you listed under U.S. U.S. resources, you listed some of your pals, and I was happy to be in there. So. Thank you oh, well, it's, I mean, it's absolutely true. I mean, and I think at the same time, I think when you're given the chance to kind of share a spotlight on great resources, I mean, it's it's true because, you know, the more that I can share, the less people harass me for the information. So, um, <laughs> the, you know, put it all in the book. That's what I say. <laughs> okay. So listen, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about the best ways that uh, listeners can plug into your, if they keep, they don't live in the UK and they can't travel to your school, how can they plug into learning more from you through uh, your online uh, resources? What, 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 what do you, we'll put the links in our show notes too. Sure thing, sure thing. So let me start off with all the free goodness that I have because I am a firm believer, like I, I don't know if, you know, you don't necessarily know my background, but I'm from, um, I'm quite a deprived part of the UK. I, I grew up in a town called Highton, and my district is Knowsley, which is the second most deprived area mm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it came last for GCSE results, which is our kind of like high school exam wow. results in the UK. It is a pretty 
what it was when, you know, maybe it's slightly better now, but it was a pretty dark place when I grew up there. Um, and I know that when you're starting out, you don't necessarily have a trust fund or something similar. Um, so we, a uh, big part of what I try and do is to um, offer as much educational resources as we can for free. So we have a blog called The Cultivate Blog, which you can find at josephmassey.com. Um, and now that I am being unshackled from the million weddings that I have had <laughs> under my belt with COVID and playing COVID catch up, because unlike you guys, of course, we had really strong restrictions. So we didn't, I mean, we, for 18 months, we didn't do a wedding and event. We were legally allowed to do them in July twenty one but of course most of my clients are already postponed to 22 by then so now only this year am i clearing i mean to date what is it we're recording this early august i've done nearly 50 weddings so far oh. this summer it has okay. been quite the, the the journey but here we are um so very much we have a blog which we just started publishing quite a bit on we try and publish twice a week on there um we have a podcast called uh, flowers after hours which is far more camp and fun and oh i have to yes i have that. to add that for people to listen to. <laughs> it's uh it's a bit of a hood so we, we we stopped earlier in the spring because my schedule started going a little crazy so we're starting that up again next month we have a very special uh guest for our first episode which is very exciting um so we have the blog the cultivate blog we have a podcast i have a youtube channel which i publish on every uh week a new tutorial goes up on there um what else do i do for free the blog the podcast well following you on instagram channel. Oh, oh, Instagram, all the goodness. Mm -hmm. Check that out. Right. And then if you're interested in kind of taking things a little bit more, I have two great things that I would offer. First of all, we have a membership called um, Flower Class. We have over 350 students in there um, who are, they pay a small amount every single month and you get access to over 100 tutorials. We recently wow. added those up and it was like something ridiculous, like um, nearly 2,000 minutes worth of education, which, I mean, frankly, who would want to listen to my voice on loop for 2,000 <laughs> minutes at a time? Um, uh, nearly two days what a, treat. Yeah. what a treat what a joy some would say it's also been used for conditioning in north korea but that's unconfirmed <laughs> um and, and then we so the membership is a wonderful place to start i think and then we do have uh, online courses and ebooks and things that we offer as well um i do have a free course out at the minute called for the love of flowers which is a great beginnings course um it is completely free of course three-part series a few little bits on uh principles and elements in there and stuff as well so we offer mm. quite a bit free of charge so if you're interested i would head to josephmasters.com you'll find the podcast there you'll find the blog there you'll find the free course there you'll find links to the youtube channel all of that good stuff is free so i mean if you are not wanting to spend a penny you can get quite a lot of joseph massey for that wow, um but if you do want the really good stuff then i, I would say flower class membership is a great place to begin yeah, that's great. Uh, I will say that I didn't dig deep into your uh, journey story because we covered it when I had you on the podcast. Uh, we did. I will, I will also share the link for people who missed that, who can go back and hear that wonderful conversation uh, thank again. You. So, yeah, Joseph, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful new book. It's um, ready for pre-order right now. And I would, I will share the link so people can oh, get in line you. and have their own copy. Um, congratulations. And I hope I see you again in, for, in person sometime soon, but it's been a very fun conversation and congratulations on seriously a piece de resistance. This is a oh. magnificent project and I congratulate you. I mean, that is incredibly high praise and I will take every single syllable of it. Thank you so much. That's okay. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Joseph. Take good care. <laughs> you too.
Thanks so much for joining me today. That was an inspiring conversation, and I hope you were just as enchanted by Joseph's story and his love of floral design as I was. Please check out our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 572 to see a number of interior spreads of the Flower School and to find links for ordering your own copy. As Joseph and I discussed, this book reflects his true passion to share his knowledge to encourage and inspire absolutely anyone who wants to work with flowers to be able to do so and to do it well. He wants everyone, professionals and flower enthusiasts alike, to be empowered by the learning process of skills, techniques, and principles for a strong floral design foundation. I couldn't agree more. By the way, as I mentioned, Joseph was a guest on a past episode of this podcast. It was episode 346, which aired April of 2018 after we taught together at Toby Nelson's Whidbey Island Workshop in Washington State. If you want to hear more about Joseph's fascinating journey to flowers, you can listen to that conversation, and I'll share the link in today's show notes. And if you'd like to enter our random drawing to win your own copy of Joseph Massey's new book, The Flower School, check out our Instagram promotion, at Slow Flower Society. We will uh, tell you the rules there, and we'll accept entries through Saturday August 27th at midnight Pacific time and announce the winner of the drawing in the following week's podcast episode. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. And a final thank you to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches. A popular peony bouquet by mail program and their Spread the Hope campaign where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. You can learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 879,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flower's ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I look forward to seeing you then.